Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Today on the podcast, we have Bob Lemondola. He's the Senior Vice President of Technology and Head of Digital Services Center at Rico USA. We're going to talk about this company transformation that he's been a part of and kind of some of the nuances over the role. So, Bob, why don't you give our listeners uh, a little elevator pitch on yourselves? Well, thank you, Kevin. And it's great to be here. As Kevin mentioned, Bob Lamondola, I'm the Senior Vice President of Technology for Rico USA. And my background is in IT services. That's kind of where I came into the organization at Rico. And I've been part of the transformation in the company from a product-oriented organization to a services-led organization. And the last two years, I've been spent in my new role. And it's really two parts. Uh, I'm really leading the development of our digital services portfolio and really leading with services that provide better engagement with our customers, but also have responsibility for internal IT and delivering the same experiences to our internal customers being our employees. And the idea of connecting those two work streams are, as we're delivering digital service to our customers, we're also engaging in delivering how we deliver those services with our employees to, br- to bring engagement closer to where our customers are. So it's been a great experience over the last couple of years, and we are making significant changes in the way in which Rico is perceived in the marketplace and how we're talking about our services to our customers and how they get to experience us as an organization. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about Rico. Give me some background. Sure. An 88-year-old company, uh, it grew out of Japan is where the organization is built from. And we still run from an, a Japanese perspective. And it's it's born and built in print. Print management is really where the core capabilities of the company exist. The interesting part about Rico, Rico has thousands of patents, not just in print technology, but also in imaging, scanning, cameras. A lot of the Rico technology is in everyday capabilities that you probably don't even realize. Some backup cameras in cars have Rico technology. A lot of 3D cameras have Rico technology. So it's a long history of innovation, a long history of technology evolution. But as you can imagine, in print and copy and they're changing in the work styles, there has been a transformation in the services and building the services about the capture capabilities of all the technology that we have when that capture can be documents, it could be images, and it could be electronic files through the capture technologies that we have. And how do we take that data that we are now stewards of and build value from it? And that's the journey we've been on, taking all the important parts of capturing information from the devices that we provide in the field, but changing from a manufacturing company to a services company, particularly with a long history, is a journey. It's not something that comes uh, easy. And when you come from a manufacturing background, you think in manufacturing terms. And when you come from a services background, you think more in the customer terms. So that's the transformation that we've been making as an organization. As you can imagine, in a long-standing company, that's hard to do. 
But I think that we're making inroads, and I think the recognition globally for Rico is really where I think you'll see transformation occur in the organization as well. Interesting. The manufacturing, we've had some product managers on the podcast that have been involved in that. Some of the terms get a little washed to understand and help us connect the dots here. We've kind of talked a lot about community-led organizations where you have a customer community that is bringing a product to market. It's kind of very customer experience-focused and centric. You also have product-led go-to-market approaches where it's all in the product and it's kind of this free-to-use and then upgrade services. We've had SaaS, enterprise SaaS, and mid-market as well. So all sorts of different types of go-to-market motions now. Tell me a little bit more about if you could sure. use that language to like describe what customer centricity means to you here. Absolutely. I'm going to use the word experimentation because that's where we've been. Product-oriented is where our legacy sits. You build something, you bring it to market. It has capabilities, it has options. We still have an element of that because there is still product in what we do. But really where we're moving through is an as a service model. Because the capabilities that we have, and we have a lot of workflow capabilities and a lot of services, and also mixing that with IT services, traditional cloud capabilities, and, and as a service usage or usage-based or consumption-based capabilities, we're really building on services to accentuate that as a service model. So when we go to customers, we're not trying to talk to them about hey, we have the greatest widget and it can deliver an, a value to you. We're trying to say, what's your business problem? We have a solution to solve that. It's really a services that we're trying to give you. It'll be as a service. And we also have technology on the other end of that can help really that journey. So it's, it's shifting the conversation from a product-led sale, here's a particular product to fix a solution, to understanding the customer challenges and then bringing all those workflow solutions to the customer to meet those objectives. And that's the transformation. So the as-a-service model, the service definition is where we're focusing. We still do have a core level of products that we still deliver to the marketplace in its traditional form, but we are making the shift to be more services. How has this shift been happening and what have you learned from it? So the journey for the customer is where we're learning the most and really the engagement models are required. You know, traditional sales methodologies of you have things to go to the customer with and you ask them how many of these you want and what are the options you need. The conversation needs to shift to understand the roadmap for the customer, understand their business challenges, and really meet that where it needs to go. So really align yourself more with the businesses of the customers, be part of their business, and be a partner. The transition from a sales perspective and go-to-market strategy, very different. The talent level and the, and the experience that you need to listen at the customer and really build relationships with people that are making those decisions is much different than going through procurement where you traditionally live in the procurement world of selling you know, a number of blue printers, a number of red printers, another yellow printers, you're really transitioning to now building engagement with business leaders at the customers to understand what their business challenges are and then bringing the value to them in terms of, hey, we have a business solution to solve that business problem. And then really it could include product, but pull the product through and don't lead with the product. And that's the transformation that we're making. It is not easy for a company that has such a long history in distribution, manufacturing distribution really changing the narrative. And we've invested in talent and resources, and we use what's called a co-innovation process to really talk to our customers about where's your technology roadmap heading? How can we part of that? Where can we add value? And where can bring value to sort of your journey? And changing the narrative and the conversation is really where we've been focusing, trying to build the resources and talent pool to accentuate that. What have you seen like as a noticeable measurement that you're on the right track? So we measure very closely the balance of services revenue to product revenue in our customers. And we have KPIs associated with growing at the enterprise level customer, the amount of services they purchase versus the amount of product. And we are specifically measured and KPI'd to drive those experiences. 
So it's not just about what's the total revenue with the customer. Of course, you want to grow revenue with the customer. But we want to grow a certain type of revenue. The more services we can deliver, the more as a service we can deliver, the stickier we become, the more important we come to that customer instead of just a vendor transaction that we create on the product level. So really that mix, that balance at the enterprise level. Now, the reason I say enterprise is because we segment our customers very clearly. We don't mind spending resources, people resources at the enterprise level, strategic level to build those relationships. Yet when we get down a little lower in the mid-market, we want to build repeatable services and we want to be more digital in our approach. We don't put people in that process. We're trying to do digital marketplace approach, digital marketing approaches, and really self-service engagement for that level of customer. We'll still serve them and listen to the feedback that we get, but really want to use the experience at the enterprise level to learn markets, to learn industries, to learn relevancy, and then build that in a more repeatable way at the integrated level, and then self-serve as much as possible. So that's sort of the journey we're transitioning before we would try to go put everything in the marketplace in the same way. And we're really learning that once you segment the customers and really focus on learning from the enterprise customers and their experiences, and then use that as a way to innovate and create repeatability at a certain level, now we can go to the other customers in those industries with the same solutions, the same problems, and say, tell the same story. Now we're getting scale at the, at the levels we require. And that's the journey we've been on the last couple of years. Got it. So you've been co-creating, co-innovating with the enterprises. The entry point to that relationship has been this, almost this solutions as a service, or what you're saying is a mix of products and services, hands-on stuff. You're leveraging that relationship, the innovation that spurs from that relationship to then fuel mid-market, more automated product delivery. Is that correct? Correct. And taking industry-focused solutions. So when we look at certain capabilities, like a claims management process, for example, that's prevalent and has a lot of manual processes in insurance, and we can really co-innovate or build a repeatable solution, now we can go to the rest of our insurance companies, whether it be mid-market or below and go and talk to them about business problems solved in a focused industry approach. So we've chosen financial services, healthcare, and retail as a primary area of focus because that's the cluster of customers that we have. So we have relevance in those marketplaces and we've brought some solutions into those capabilities. Now, how do you bring the value propositions down to a level that can be repeatable and the stories can be told by the sales teams to sort of create new engagements with customers. Got it. So the customers that you are approaching with the markets that you currently have today, so these are enterprise clients that you know you have some mix of offering and value to deliver on and then double down on what you find. And we've built relationships over time and we've become trusted partners in the traditional products. And those give us opportunities to the right to play, the right to ask for more business. And then we get proof grounds, we get opportunities. We start small POCs, really doing, hey, let's give us an opportunity to come in and show you what we can do. And then those expand from there and then use those experiences to say, hey, is there a broader market play for that? Take some market insights, take some industry expertise and now apply it in a broad, broader way, build it to scale, build it to a model and then be able to repeat it. Yeah, I love that. Now, I'm curious, what does that approach look like with that first engagement? Is it that crafting of the POC? Is it, give me some more tactical things. We've really been leveraging the idea of a POC. We have a lot of good technology, meaning people, really smart people that have been using low code analytics, now even AI, and, and understanding, hey, we've done this for customers. Can we do it a little better? And then build it in a POC and then go back to the customer. Listen, we've incubated this a little bit. Would you be interested in talking to us and maybe working with us? Sometimes we get customers that are actually willing to work collaboratively with us on the development, really co-development beyond co-innovation. 
When we get those opportunities, we double down. Those are the areas where we have engagement with a customer. We have an engaged customer. They're willing to put their time and energy on being successful. And we, they put a stake in the game often. When we get those opportunities, and we have a lot of good customers that have good experience with us. So when we get those opportunities, we really go deep. We go very deep. And we want to really encourage that. So we use that POC process to co-develop. We're using low-code methodologies to be able to turn things around quickly, develop methodologies. And then we're using sort of visualization like uh, Figma and other kind of things to visualize solutions instead of trying to architect them in like a, a PowerPoint way. We try to really work with the customer and visualize them together and then be able to build the code, low code behind that to be able to turn their out quick. Then have feedback mechanisms. So we're really kind of iterating along those lines. And listen, there's as many things that we don't do as do. And in learning the process, you kind of learn okay, that didn't work. And the customer's sort of part of that. And we together say, ah, that was a good idea, but it didn't pan out. Let's go this way. Those experiences, and the reason why that's very good is because we, we're kind of market testing things and ideas and concepts in real world situations. So that's, that's been the most rewarding way. And we've, been had, we've had the most success in actually building things to scale using that kind of methodology. So we've taken the POC concept, taken it out, really applied modern agile methodologies and using sort of low-code technologies to some AI lately in terms of those experiences, and really trying to work with customer to get those. And then once we find a sweet one, once we find out something that's really resonating, the teams scurry back as, so how do we build this at, at scale? How do we build this as a service? What is the consumption model that we're gonna endeavor? What is the market opportunity pricing? We really go through a commercialization process pretty quickly. Uh, and then try to bring that to market as fast as possible. So tell me about that discovery process and maybe we could get more tactical there. This first initial meeting with the client, are they approaching you? Is this outbound? Is it a mix of the two? Then you kind of center in on a strategy ideation session, brainstorm. I'll, I'll give you three three ways that typically that'll happen. Yeah, often we, you know, we're engaged with our customers a lot and they'll bring us, hey, listen, you know, we've been struggling with this. Do you think this is something you can do? And honestly, Sometimes we say, no, it's really not our sweet spot, but we'll help them find the right way. But often, more often than that, we said, you know what? We, we've done something very close. If you're willing to spend the time with us, we'll do this together. Those are the perfect situations because you have an engaged customer looking for those things. Sometimes, because we have our employees on site in our traditional models where we're managing mail rooms or we're managing reception areas or they're doing managed services or field services, meaning fixes technology at our customer accounts, they get very close with those accounts and customers. And sometimes they hear things going on in the account. Hey, listen, they're struggling. This customer is struggling with keeping employees engaged in this way. And then they'll tell our account teams, our account teams will try to make that connection and reach out, actually reach out and try to make those connections. And we leverage that expertise in the field. And then the third way we do this is there's a lot of our team members that are very engaged in associations. Like I said, those industry-focused associations and when we go there with customers together and we're sort of looking at AI as just a perfect example, we, we took our customers to some engaged AI on generative AI and we sat down in, in a, an incubation cent, uh, uh, centered approach. And we've done services for this customer for quite some time, but we were talking to them, working with them openly about how we could apply some AI principles to the services we already delivered to them. They said, hey, listen, come on in. We'll, we'll put some team members and we'll work collaboratively with you. So it's all three of those methodologies really strong business relationships, really good field level support teams that made connections and listened very closely to the accounts. And then us reaching out and trying to build sort of common themes around really important stuff. And AI is just one of the most important subjects now. RPA was something we had a couple, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, we 
did some innovation around that customers. Low code was something that there's a lot of conversations about low code. And we had some conversations with customers about that. So we try to pick technology themes that are resonating. We hear inside customers and accounts that are working on because we're thinking about the same things that they are. Interesting. Tell me about the challenges that you've incurred over this transitional period. I'm sure it wasn't all roses, right? Not, not, <laughs> no, a lot, not a lot of rainbows and unicorns here. So, um, it, because you're, when you have a sales team that's born and raised in transactional sales, and then you have to talk to them about sell for the experience, sell for the as a service. That's different. The reward systems must change. The compensation models are vastly different. When you record, when you recognize for transactional work, I'm really good this month. I met my number. Now start over the next month versus I'm building a long-term relationship. I'm going to sell something that's going to generate a small amount of volume now, but I'm going to continue to land and expand and grow that service because I'm going to have a longer contractual revenue opportunity and a more stable revenue stream. That land and expand strategy has to be supported with sales compensation models that feels satisfying for the sales entity, but also brings the right results to the end user and the customer. So we had a lot of transition there. That's a big shift. That's a hard thing to do to transition that. And then on the operating model, every new service you deliver has to go through a level of maturity. Early on in our journey and services, we try to go, okay, this is a good idea service. Let's put it in the machine right away. And I think after a few big mistakes, we said, okay, we probably have to walk that back. Every new service has to be incubated in the right way. You have to perfect the operational delivery. You have to perfect the go-to-market. You have to perfect the pricing. You have to perfect the costing. And you're going to make a big investment early on, so you have to make sure you're very efficient and effective. So we learned early with the delivery of new service or the launching of new services to be very kind of think incubation. When it gets to a level of maturity, then we start democratizing. When it gets to a big level of maturity, then we are delivering digitally. It took us a while to learn that process and make sure that we had it down right because we made a few mistakes early on and made some big that we did not necessarily get the returns for. Is it fair to say it's almost like a customer funded model where you're kind of, you know, you, you this kind of land and expand or grow to then it, build a product or? Yes, in a, little, in a little way. Yeah, it's sort of that way. And it's hard to do that when you, you know, you can't, when you're doing these early adopter kind of things, you can't have the customer fund all that. You have to have a little bit of a vision. So it's a balance between the two. Obviously, it's not a free service, right? You want to, we're all in business to make money. So we have to make money. But we also have to recognize that sometimes when you build as a service, you're making a longer term investment into infrastructure, right? The idea is each, each, model, each consumption you add, you're not adding costs at the same level. The costs go up a little slower for each amount of revenue, but you have to have a baseline of investment. So really understanding the, the balance between those two things and making sure we're driving delivery mechanisms and we're driving efficiencies in the process to make sure that we're, we're building the revenue stream to maximize the investment that was made and then really hit the inflection point and starting to grow uh, gross profit each time we add a dollar of revenue. What do the teams look like? How are they? Who's actually doing the work here? The innovation team is within the technology teams. We try to keep that very tight. Um, we have a little arm into the de delivery teams. So the service delivery teams are actually doing the work on the other side. I have responsibility infrastructure as well. So when we launch something in the cloud, my team manages that. And we keep that very tight in terms of a small team. When we start spreading it out, we then move some of the operational responsibilities into the service delivery teams where they are doing the deployments and implementations themselves. But early on, we really try to keep that very tight to keep an efficiency level at the right, at, at the right um, sort of uh, expectation. 
the challenge with that sometimes is you have to keep a training program to make sure you're feeding the resources and the employees are engaged in the process and you have to have full transparency. Well, again, one of the other challenges we had early on, sometimes when you're innovating and going very fast, the rest of the organization's like, what are you guys doing? Like, so we had to learn to really be very transparent, show the roadmap very clearly what we're doing, make sure that they understood that along the path, the, the greater teams will be engaged. And the other part is making sure the marketing teams were involved from day one so that we really were telling the right value proposition stories, the right go-to-market strategy stories from the inception, not trying to catch that up in the end. So in the past, and, and I'll tell you, in Rico specifically, a lot of technologies got out ahead, meaning it was good technology, but they didn't bring the organization along. So we really learned from those experiences and really try to dealt with a lot of those things up front. Dealt with meaning bring marketing in on the ground floor? Is it a mix of things that bring, worked for you in this context? Yep. Marketing in for go-to-market, even before we touched a line of code, bringing marketing in, validating the solution. Here's where we've learned from our customers. We think we can build this at scale. Is it make sense? Does it make, is it the right thing for us to do? Does it fit the overall messaging that we've created from the brand? Bring in a couple early adopters from sales. Do we have some accounts in healthcare that would be interested in this? Do we have the relationships of those accounts to engage them? Would they be interested in being early adopters? So we do that, all that work up front. We've adopted a framework called a pragmatic framework, which all that analytical work happens in the early part. Now, remember, co-innovation or the POC is happening here. When we get ready to build it at scale, now we put it through this pragmatic framework and are looking for repeatability based on business conditions and really challenging ourselves to make sure that we have a real opportunity here we understand the investment profile. We have an expected revenue stream. We have early adopters to bring into the case. So we really try to put ourselves through the paces as best we can once we understand and see that there might be an opportunity to do something repeatable from the POC activity. Now, you mentioned framework, and I love frameworks. Tell me, what, what is the pragmatic framework? So pragmatic framework is a full commercialization framework. It takes it through idea and, and conception of ideas and innovation through paces of evaluation, considering all elements that you would need to bring to the market. There's 37 processes, business processes along the way to bring it to the end goal and actually deliver to market. But those 37, a lot of those 37 steps don't apply in every case to every single solution. But the disciplines that get created there, there's races created for each of those 37 steps. And we have assigned responsibilities, who leads, who follows. And once we learned the framework and trained, and really we've trained about 275 people in development and marketing and some salespeople, some sales SMEs. Once we've trained everybody, everyone says, and now set, use the, the, the nomenclature, the, the vocabulary becomes understood by everybody. There's stage gates. There's six stage gates in that 37 pro step process. And we, we do everything from pricing methodologies to business case development, to investment profiles, to identification of early adopters, to identification of use cases, and really build out that so that when we hit the go-to-market strategy, we're really in a good flow. Um, early on, to be honest with you, two years ago when we started, we stumbled a lot in those 37 steps because it was new. It was different than what we've done before. But the reason for the disciplines, and we're using Asana actually as a tool set to really manage the flow and, and manage the experience. We used to have people submit ideas for innovation or submit ideas for development. And they would go into a black box and never, no, you know, no one ever saw anything about it until it came out the other side, maybe with a product or solution. We've, we've created complete transparency. So everybody has access. You will see where your idea sits. You will know if it's stuck at a stage gate and, a, and the reason why it's stuck there. You will also see what's in the pipeline. And the nice part about that 
is when you start seeing a few things gathered together for certain industries in a flow, then the conversational, the storytelling that can happen with the customers get very deep and very wide. And we want that capability. We want to say, hey, listen, we don't have that solution now, but I can see that in seven months from now, we're looking at something that will fit that need. Would you be interested in having a conversation with some of our technology people who can tell you a little bit more about thinking? And those engagements, instead of worrying about specifically what's in the portfolio, but those conversations about what's coming down the roadmap has really created some nice engagement with customers. And I think it, it's released the sales team from being so structured, only talking about what we can do. You get the art of the possible introducing in those conversations. But I think it helps to change the conversation. Now, we don't do that with every customer. We try to do it at the mm. enterprise level, strategic level, again, to create those POC environments. But longer term, we look to move that down as we able to build scale in that process. Give me a sense of scale. How many folks are at your area here? So I have, I have 565 people that work innovation. About 137 of those folks are internal IT, right? So they're pretty much not customer facing. I have a, another group of folks that are what's called design consultants. So it's about 152 of those folks that work hand in hand with the sales team. They're the ones going out and hearing from the customer, listening to the customer, uh, helping shape deals and organize, and sometimes doing uh, business process consulting or, or workflow consulting, paid for engagements if they, if they need to be. And then a whole, then a group of people that do portfolio development in, in the segments of the area. So workflow automation, digital experience, um, IT and cloud security, and we have six segments of the portfolio that we go after, and I have teams really centered on each one of those segments. They're the marketing team, the, go, the product portfolio managers, are also aligned in the same structure, so they work very closely hand-in-hand so that we have a sort of a, a alignment and connection to the overall roadmap. That gives me a sense of perspective. I appreciate that. One of the questions that made me think of was a lot of companies listening to these podcasts was around small to mid-sized types of companies, right? They don't have all the resources that you just mentioned. Do you recommend the same approach with a smaller company that is selling to enterprise or is it a variation? It's a great question because it, I think that the concepts work, the scale doesn't. Like you have to look at some of those things. So there's a, there's ways to be, in. again, this is a big company born in manufacturing. So you, we have to have a structure because it's kind of what the, the company is oriented around. Honestly, there's sometimes in small incubation, I'd rather be more agile and almost be more responsive. And we have sort of quarantined a little small team, and we call that the customer co-innovation team. They work outside that framework, and they have the ability to be very responsive to customer needs and very innovative in approaches. And we've done that specifically because in a big company, as you're trying to structure, you don't want to be so pragmatic, use the word, that you block yourself out from being innovative. So we had to really quarantine out. In a mid-sized company, because I come from a mid-sized company, small mid-sized company, most of our innovation have to be very reactive to the marketplace, really reactive. And you have to be almost so open-minded that you're willing to list a lot and then figure out how to navigate through that. So we've really quarantined another team. It's about 12 folks. And all they do is look for those opportunities. Now, I say they work outside the framework. At some point, they come into the framework but they're given a little bit more license to sort of be creative with our customers when the opportunity creates itself. And we had to do that because you just didn't want to be shutting down sort of real creative thinking because you need some of those, I'll call them wild ideas, to create the innovation roadmap that you need for the future. And that's a, something I, I, you know, at a small, mid-sized company, that's something I really respect because it's, for companies of that size, it's almost a survival thing. Like, this is the thing we need to do to survive. 
And there's an energy that comes with that that I think is very appealing. And you don't want to, you, you want to capture that. You don't yeah. want to stifle it. It's so fascinating with the innovation as a this kind of outside of the structure type of approach. And do you have any specific frameworks or methodologies to that team? kind of deploy? Is it is it more kind of like IDEO or strategic or creative thinking or design thinking or design sprints or anything like that? Or is it kind of just more reactive? Or Same basic premises. It's a lot of design sprints, a lot of agile methodologies. We have to use those because we want to create those kind of things. But often, like uh, two years, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, we had some opportunities in AI. And this is before ChatGPT really became democratized and, and generative IA. And it comes at you every, every... But we had some opportunities, early adopters. And Instead of trying to put this through the pragmatic framework and try to, you know, what's the business opportunity at the time, I gave it to this team. And this team went out proactively and found some customers that had some interest in working with us. The value of that is a year later, it put us so far ahead of the curve. And we were using it for something for documents, OCR scanning, learning documents. Each time a document got, the scanning engine got smarter each time. It knew rule sets by itself, figuring out, that a, a social security number without dashes is still a social security number. Think of simple things like that. We're doing address correlations. And we would not have been as far as we were if we did not start that kind of incubation work there. So they use agile development methodologies. They, they have a small, it's only the 12 people. There's about four developers in there. The rest of the folks are more business people, analysts. And the developers really go out and start just kind of playing with a few things. And then when we get some value, they come back and make presentations to the larger innovation team. And when we get something really interesting, they know, they release it. They move on to the next thing. They release it into the pragmatic framework and the other developer teams, and we, do, we really work on commercializing it. And then they go on to the next interesting thing that's interesting. In fact, quantum computing right now is the next thing I put on their roadmap because we have some possibilities in quantum to actually transform what we're doing in certain computations. And I'm really interested to see if they come up with that. But that's that, that team that I go to when I have an idea or somebody comes with a really interesting idea puts me outside of the commercialization framework, but allows them to be agile. And then they they will build sort of little prototypes. They'll work on a little, you know, we have set up in Kubernetes, kind of in a separate environment, so they're not playing in the corporate space, and but they can do their own thing and be innovative. And then they'll come back and present to the rest of the team. Here's what we've discovered. Now, like anything else, we don't do half the things that they say, but we do about half the things they do. And then they recommend and we incorporate that into the roadmap. And that's that's been a very good process because it it separates them from being confri confined and constrained just with what we do today. Well, to look, look outside that. So what would you recommend to a smaller company that wants to pursue this with limited resources? A couple of different ways. You can certainly build it yourself and hire a few people. It's hard to keep people engaged at that level because they need to be stimulated, right? You need enough content to keep them stimulated. So it's hard for a small business. The other way is to partner. There are some firms out there that you can partner with for that kind of innovation. You have to have a very tight partnership. You have to really deal with things like intellectual property. That's a very important factor there. But there's absolute ways that you can partner with small firms that will do some of the innovation with you and really become part of the organization. So there's a couple of different approaches. If you're going to do it yourself, you really got to get the right mindset of the person that's there. It's got to be somebody that has, uh, uh, I, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan, so has to be like the goldfish, you know, has to learn to fail and be comfortable with failing. Meaning it's okay. It'll be all right. Have a short memory. Goldfish has short memories. So you have to really adopt that methodology because you're going to make a lot of goof ups and it's okay. It's all part of the learning process, but it's a, it's a personality profile that you need to put in there. And uh, sometimes it's hard to find the right, uh, we, we've gotten it wrong. Well, again, I'll, I'll admit there, 
we put some people in there. Do you recognize they're really super smart? Okay, but they're way too analytical to be there. They need to move over into the teams that are here and we have to pick somebody that's okay with maybe making a mistake here and there and just moving on. And, and you have to pick the right profile. So for a small company, it's kind of hard, but if you have the right personality, if you quarantine them off and give them space to grow, it could be very effective. And if you can't, there's teams that you can partner with to actually deliver that. I'm always fascinated with smaller scale teams and companies. I think that you always kind of have to balance your investment at a given stage of growth at your company. And when do you want to go dial in certain things? And I love supplementing it too with a, a partner like that would be great as well. Let's talk about digital experience for one moment, because one of the aspects of this is the changing demographics of the workforce and what, what the expectations of now the new workforce mm -hmm. coming in. And the nice part is we've had such a well-developed internship program. I am a big internship supporter. I find them wherever I can find them. I love to bring in new new experiences. They're really out there. I love to bring in from technical schools. You bring sort of in, because first of all, uh, I'll say it because my children grew up in an age where they don't know anything other than digital. That's all they know. They don't have any predisposed notions of how you transact. I hate to say it, but sometimes they have a challenge with ch balancing a checkbook. They didn't learn those skills. But nonetheless, the experience that comes in from that Gen Z kind of um, asking very naive questions in a good way and then allowing sort of space for that to grow. That, that has really shaped our digital experience. We've learned a lot from those, from those teams. And we put those internships, intern, interns right in the middle of some of the incubation efforts. And it's because it's a learning experience for them, no doubt. And not all of them wind up coming on board, but a good percentage of 20, 25% do come on board. But 100% of them, we put them right in the middle of those teams and we ask them to learn. We ask them to critique. We ask them to ask challenging questions. We don't want take notes and, you know, type in. I, I don't, I can find people to do that. I want them though. We have a good partnership with Wharton School of Business. We have a wonderful partnership with Clemson University. Um, we have uh, smaller universities that have very targeted programs and supply chain management, for example. We bring those folks on because I like different perspectives. I think it adds something to the innovation process, particularly when you bring the workforce of the future into the fray, because it'll change your perspective on how you approach certain projects. That internship program to feed this innovation. When did you stand this up? And then what does it look like in practice? Is this something that is time bound? And then, like you said, there's some graduation moment, but what does that look like? Rico's always had an internship program. It started very much, uh, hey, we need an extra. Let's well, be honest. It was hire students for labor, right? About three years ago, um, I was sitting back and I had the opportunity to bring in two interns, developer interns, and it was before I had my, my current role, it was in a prior role. And that experience changed me forever on internships. I said, no more. I mean, if you want to get interns for labor purposes, go ahead and do that. But for me, I want to bring in interns that are going to add value. And I stuck them in projects. So those two interns that, that we brought on I put them both on two different development teams. The feedback that I got, so it took them a while. You had to break them out of their shell. But once they got comfortable, the feedback from the leaders of those project teams said they were invaluable, meaning they were adding, contributing. They felt comfortable. It wasn't that they were perfect and they didn't know everything, but they asked questions that made you step back and said, hmm, haven't thought about it that way before. Those two use cases, when I sort of met with the teams, I said, okay, so when I got my new role, the first thing I did, I said, what's our internship program? I put a person in place to manage it for me, meaning I, and I have a liaison to HR for recruiting purposes. I said, these are the profile of people that I want. The Wharton School, we went after the Mac Institute because what they do is 
you put a project out to their technical teams and say, I want to do something on analytics or data science, and they bid on the project. All of our projects always get, I mean, teams, we always get more than at least five to six people, different groups. We pick the one group uh, to bid on the project. And when you bid on the project, they actually do the project for you. And our teams work collaboratively with them. And then we bring them on board. So it's just been, it's changed dramatically what we've done. And a lot of the educational institutions, very different than when I went to school, certainly with internships they are now. And the technical schools are recognizing, particularly through COVID, they have to create a different engagement than they once had. The, the internship of the past is not the internship of the future. And the internships of the future, you need to find ways to keep the students engaged. They must be engaged so because you're going to physically see them much less. So the way to keep engagement is actually give them hard things to do. And if they fail, be okay with it. Adjust their, their vision going forward. So we put a structure in place, a little bit of a structure. I have some person leading it. I have two uh, administrators that work on the project definitions. We do project definition statements for every time we bring an intern. They sign an agreement. This is what we expect. Not a sign, but we give them, here's the project you're assigned. Here's the expectations. Does this work for you? Is this going to meet your requirements? Sometimes it's educational, meaning they get credit for them uh -huh. at their university. Sometimes it's something that they just want to do. Uh, we don't have any limitations. Sometimes people stay for an internship for a year. Typically beyond a year, it's a like, okay, are we right. going to hire right. you? Are you going to move on? Typically by then we know. We don't really have the same intern for more than one year. It's typically strange to do that. But that's the program. It's it's pretty diverse in its its approach. And uh, I can't say enough about it. It's been, it's been I think, the, one of the most rewarding things we've done. Um, and I've learned. You know, I'll say for me, I've learned a lot from that experience um, and, and learning how to introduce in the new sort of remote workforce, <laughs> how do you introduce and engage and keep people um, focused on delivering results because you can't track activity anymore. It's not about that. It's really about just tracking results and giving objectives and telling people, here's what my expectations are and setting them loose and, and asking them to do their very best. And, and then when you reward and recognize the ones that do it really, really well, the others want to do the same. Mm -hmm. So you have to canonize and really model what good looks like and make sure you're very forward with the mission of that. And then you see the rest of them sort of understand, oh, okay, I get it. This is what this is what I have to do to get ahead. Um, and then, what, listen, there's a lot of them that I've written wonderful recommendations. I've gone on interviews with them, meaning that I've had their prospective employers call me and said, yeah, this person worked for me. She was wonderful. She's a great, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm more than happy to do that. In fact, I almost feel like giving it, it's like giving back. It's almost a little bit of a passion. If you <laughs> there needs to be more of these out there. That's a good framework there. I want to switch to one last topic and then we can kind of wrap things up. But, sure. you know, you've been at Rico for a long time now. I don't know how many years. I mean, you probably it's been a while. I, I say this story all the time. I've never left the job, <laughs> but I've been with seven different companies because I've been acquired oh, every time. Okay. So every time I'm with a company, the company splits up. Then a piece gets bought by some other company. I'm going to go there and I move along. And so I came to Rico at, through an acquisition in 2014. It was an IT services MSP, managed service provider. Uh, I worked in that IT services space for a couple of years. And they said, hey, uh, you want to try this? And I said, yeah, okay. They gave me a little more responsibility to do uh, something outside the IT service arena. And I did that for a couple of years. And they said, um, you know, we're going to change our service. We're going to want all the services to work together. Do you think you would mind if you moved over there and see if you can reimagine for us. And I said, sure, no problem. So I went and I don't mind doing those things. So I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, Karsten, when Karsten Brun came along as a CEO, he looked at the management team and said, we don't have anybody that leads technology. 
and we're supposed to be a technology company? That doesn't seem right. So I did a series of presentations for Karsten. Didn't know what I was interviewing. By the third one, I'm like, I think I'm interviewing for something. He didn't tell me. So I was just talking about, you know, what I was working on and where I think we needed to go and what I thought roadmap. And by the third conversation, it was clear that he was, I was actually interviewing for a job and why he wanted to change. That was great. The opportunity for me to create the role. I'm the first person to be in this role. And, um, I took on all, I took all the different line of business technology and R and D teams and put them all together, how to reimagine it a little bit, sort it out, who are the leaders, who, who needs to maybe be transitioned to a different role and how to structure all that. And that's kind of where I sat today. So, uh, you know, even though it's the same company, I can promise you it's so much different than it was when I first well, got here than the way it was That's kind of what I wanted to understand too, was you've seen a lot during this time period. You've seen a lot of transformation. What gives you kind of like excitement or hope that this latest innovation push yeah. is the right one? A couple of things. Number one is we together as a management team, when Karsten first got here, we sat in a room and said, what is, what is our strategy? You know, we had to develop a strategy that was consistent across the board. What are we going to be? Who do we want to be in the marketplace? Because there's been a couple of attempts, but we never really were committed to it. And we took a good six to nine months to sit in a room and figure out what is that? We want to be a service, digital services company. We want to talk about and embrace too much information because we know we can bring control to structured and unstructured data, bring value to that data, bring value to the customers. How do we tell that story collaboratively? And more importantly, how do we build a culture in the company that's going to adopt to that? And over the two-year journey, I could tell you every year before that, we always had a strategy of the year. This is the first time I've been with this company. We've stuck to the strategy and evolved it in the right way, meaning kept the good parts and just added on. And the culture has been the underpinning. That's the thing that's really kind of created the common thread. And it's about the customer. We repeat and say this with, with our account teams, with our, with our employees. It's bringing value to the customer. How do we accentuate the experience for the customer? Are we about the customer? I enjoy speaking late to customers. I enjoy being in the room with customers. For me, it's welcoming, even in tense situations. I don't mind that. Um, so I think that's my sort of my passion. My energy comes from there's a consistent message in our strategy. We are committed to the customer as the center of our strategy. Sense Innovate Adapt is a model or sort of a mantra that we developed. Sense the marketplace, sense our customers, innovate about what we sense from the market and our customers, and then adapt the organization. It's never static and really continue to evolve. And as long as we understand that we'll keep that continuing with the customer at the center, we should do great things. And we had some really nice successes over the last year with some major customers that I really feel confident about. So I'm energized about the direction. It really feels positive. It feels like the right way for us to be. Our culture, really, how we drive the culture across the organization, which is such an important part of it. You can have a great strategy and a crappy culture and nowhere. I think the combination of the two is really what the secret sauce is. Love it. We usually give our audience homework for the week and we'll talk about something tactically they can take from this conversation and put into practice during their day to day. Find your why. Always I tell everybody about everything and, and what you do in your job is find the why. What what brings you motivation and passion in, in each and every day? For me, the why is our customers. That for me grounds me. Uh, when I look and understand if I'm frustrated in any given day about what am I doing and why am I doing it? And I, and I have to ask back is my why is about the customers. And then right behind that is our employees. If I can always be focused on those two things, bringing value to our employees to make sure they're happy, but make sure that we're always focused on bringing value to the customers, that's my why. 
So I always encourage everybody to understand your why, what motivates you, what motivates to be the best. How do you need to look at yourself and be really self-aware and be authentic with yourself and understanding that I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect, but when you try your best and you're bringing your best every day, that answers your why and that what helps you be productive each and every day. So it's really learning about being comfortable with that. And, and the last thing is always learn to be a little uncomfortable being comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable. I always like the, if things are going too well, I always want to just tweak it a little bit, stir it up a little bit, because often when it's too comfortable, that means you've kind of gotten complacent. And I always try to look for things. So always be comfortable with a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I gravitate towards as well. One thing that I took away that we could put into practice, maybe two things. I like the internship program, figuring out a way to build this bridge towards diversity of thought, right? And this individual and this program that can help fuel innovation. The other thing that I thought was a good takeaway was innovation on the side and dancing around the structure and how you could potentially play with that in your organization. So maybe do a couple thought exercises of approaching this. All right. Well, Bob, where can our uh, listeners find you? Physically here? Well, today I'm happy. I'm, I'm in my house in Delaware physically here. So no, um, I, you know, my LinkedIn profile, I try to be pretty active. Please feel free to, to sort of follow me. If you, if you see me out there, I'm trying to do my best to keep up Caroline and the, and the marketing team does a great job of inspiring me to keep my, myself out there. I, I try to mix from business to sort of, you know, personal and different activities. So you can always find me there. I'm more than happy to connect with anybody that reaches out proactively and, um, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, my life is very active. So I, I, like I said, I live in, right now, I'm in the beach house in Delaware, but I'm from New York and Long Island. I spend a lot of my time, my summers there. I go there quite often and I'm in Philadelphia where our office are. So I try, I'm pretty mobile most of the time. And, but I really appreciate the opportunity, Kevin. And I do, you know, if there's anybody that's interested in, in checking out what I'm doing, please feel free to follow me on or reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to respond back. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Bob. It was a pleasure chatting and Looks like we uh, finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Inker, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.